Welcome to Northern Goal, the football podcast from the Evening Express and Pressing Journal. I'm Ryan Crail. Today I'm joined by a bonanza of sports writers. I always like using that word. Um, we've got Sean Martin here. We've got Danny Law. We've got Sean Wallace. We've got Paul Chalk. How are we, guys? Yeah, all good. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks. not bad. It was just a just a morass of noise, wasn't it? There as they all <laughs> sounded back. Okay, so today. Despite the fact we've got four guests, um, we don't we don't actually have too much to discuss. We've got we've got a bit, but um, mainly the first half we'll focus on Aberdeen. They had their first friendly last week against Inverness. Um, what did we learn from it? Are we expecting the Dons to get eight thousand two hundred fans for their European game with BK Hacking at Pataudry, as well as their Premiership opener against Dundee United? Um, Danny was at the Aberdeenshire Cup loss to Bucky Thistle as well, but the Dons reserves um, went down 1-0, so we'll, we'll discuss that as well. Then we'll move on to the Premier Sports Cup, our team's results in that and the games we've got coming up. So yes, first of all, let's start with the Dons. Last Thursday, I believe, their first friendly, a 1-1 draw with Inverness at Cormac Park. Um, afterwards, I saw the Dons fans kind of giving it the, the usual mix of it's just a training exercise, a first friendly, what you expect, and the result doesn't matter to the ones that were going nuclear, the, um, the fact that you were only drawing 1-1 with a team in the championship and a team not that fancied for the championship title, I think it's fair to say. Um, they, they basically think that means that there's going to be a, a terrible season in store for Aberdeen, but what do you guys, what do you guys think about the result? Yeah, I think you can you can read anything into a pre-season friendly. I mean, it's a time for experimenting, boys getting their fitness up. Drawing with Inverness means absolutely nothing. It's the game against BK Harkin where they'll be where they'll be uh, tested and where we'll find out exactly how their pre-season preparations have gone. Time for experimenting, just like my my first lads hold it um, to Magaluf when I was eighteen. Um, <laughs> it's been- Sean, yeah. <laughs> Aberdeen's goal it was scored by new signing, J. Emmanuel Thomas, who I think, to be fair, um, I, I, when he first signed, I think there were quite a lot of people really enthusiastic about it. And um, We obviously joined from Livingston where he was last season, and there were quite a quite a few fans, though, that were kind of like, oh, his goal record, he's never scored that. He's he's come out he's come out publicly and said he wants to score 20-plus goals this season. I don't think this one maybe counts towards that, but... Um, I mean, it's a good start. It shows that he's maybe if he's used correctly, that J. Emmanuel Thomas can be a dangerous player for Aberdeen, perhaps. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think Jet's a strong signing for Aberdeen. The times I saw him last season, he impressed me. I mean, he primarily played wide right when I saw him for Livingston, and he was very impressive. I mean, I can't tell you how he performed for Aberdeen against Livingston because. It was a closed door friendly, not just for supporters but also media. And they were playing so very Venice. difficult. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> who did I say? Livingston. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So it's very difficult to assess. In terms of the big, the big talking point um, before the game, after the game, it's still not been decided yet. It's probably going to have to be decided for the first European game, you'd imagine. But there's still no club captain. Under Stephen Glasgow in the new season, Joe Lewis was the captain for the last few seasons. We've also got Scott Brown now in the mix, obviously very experienced as a as a skipper. We've got Declan Gallagher coming from Motherwell, where he was club captain. Stephen Glass has also mentioned, I think, Andy Considine, striker Christian Ramirez and Jet, who we've just discussed. Um, 
let's 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 hash this one out then. It's for me, it's got to be Scott Brown, but I'm sure you guys maybe have differing opinions or different reasons why you think that certain players should be given the armband. As you said there, when I was speaking to Stephen Glass last week, he put through six candidates. Brown, Considine, Lewis, Jett, Ramirez and Gallagher. But for me, the outstanding candidate has to be Scott Brown. I mean, you've got a former Celtic captain there that led them to nine in a row, the quadruple treble, won 21 trophies. I mean, the experience in that role that he brings to the club is, you, you can't overlook that. You've got to utilise it to its maximum benefit. He's a born leader. He motivates players. He riles up opponents. I think having Scott Brown as club skipper, it'll bring that extra edge to Aberdeen that was lacking for a lot of last season. I think Joe Lewis was a strong captain, particularly off the field, but I don't believe a keeper should be a captain. You need to be in the heart of the action so you're able to get a message across quickly and efficiently to the defenders, people in the wide and up front. And if you're a, key, a keeper isolated in the 18-yard box, no matter how loud you are, even if you've got a megaphone, you can't get that message across in time. So for me, it has to be Scott Brown, although you can't overlook Andy Considine for what he's brought to the club in almost 20 years of service. So I would go Brown with Andy Considine, an able deputy. I mean, I, I would agree with um, Sean that that I mean Scott Brown's the the kind of obvious and outstanding choice to be the captain. I mean Joe Lewis has been, you know, a, a great ambassador for Aberdeen since joining the club, and um, and I think that I mean I, I'm not as kind of adverse to as Sean to goalkeepers being captain. I think it's because I think at, at that kind of level of football, um, I do think that the the captain's role is almost more of an off the pitch. Um, role than than on the pitch because on the pitch you would kind of expect you know all the players throughout the team to kind of show those leadership qualities and it wouldn't and you know having an armband on shouldn't really mean that that much um, to professional players when you're you know you, you would be expecting all of those players that Stephen Glass mentioned that you know when the chips are down and that they need a performance to all step up to the plate and to bring that performance out of each other um, but I think if you've got one of the most successful captains in Scottish football in your squad then you have to give him the armband. Um, the only reason that it, it wouldn't be going to Scott Brown is perhaps if Stephen Glass sees him as being, you know, more of a fringe player this season and not starting every game. But you know, I think I, I fully expect him to to be starting most games um, in, in every game if he's available and fit. Um, so yeah, it would be a massive shock um, to me if Scott Brown isn't the one giving the armband for Aberdeen's opening game of the season. Sounded to me there, Danny, like you were suggesting perhaps that a modern football team needs eleven captains on the pitch. Would that be correct? I think that that you could. Um, I, I think that. Well, I think different players. I think one of the great things with um, one of the few positives with having uh, no fans in the crowds um, last season was that I guess ourselves in sort of privileged position of being able to go to games, you could hear um, sort of how vocal players were on the pitch and you could hear which of when you went to Aberdeen games, I think particularly down at, you know, stadiums like St Mirren Park where 
where our kind of vantage point was very close to the action. And you could hear all of the chats between uh, the managers and players and the players on the park. And, um, and you got a good sense of, you know, some players when they play are, um, are pretty quiet, don't say that much. And then some of them just kind of shout all through the game. I know that, I mean, certainly some of the games that I was at, you know, Joe Lewis was one of the, the loudest guys there in terms of, you know, shouting orders, arguing with players, trying to G other guys up. Whereas, you know, some of some of the players and some of those that like we'd kind of mention as as the leaders in the, the Aberdeen camp actually quite quiet and not, not really saying um, that much through the game, but you know, perhaps more leading by example than um than by kind of shout, shouting and hollering. So everyone's got their, their different style. Um but um but yeah, I mean I would I'd be I'd be stunned if it wasn't uh, Scott Brown giving the nod. Okay, so as I mentioned, Aberdeen want 8,200 fans for, well, I think they said their games up into and including the, I think it's August 1st clash with uh, Dundee United in the Premiership at Pataudry. So presumably that also includes the Euro game with BK Hacken because those are the only two fixtures up until that date scheduled for Pataudry. Um, Do you think they'll get that? I know they're kind of, they're aiming high, they're going above and beyond what... The kind of the rules are supposed to be at that time, but when you see the amount of fans in Wembley down in England for the the Euros final, when you see other events, um, obviously there'll be fans at the Open this week. Um, there'll be there's been fans at rugby games, for example. Do, do you think do you think the Dons have got a chance with this one? Unfortunately, not. But I think they're well within their rights to aim high and be ambitious and pushing for eight thousand two hundred. I mean, we, I mean, this isn't a number they've came at arbitrarily. They've, there's a lot of like, background research and work went into coming up with this number, which they believe they can they safely get into Pataudry. But I just feel a jump from no supporters in May up to 8,200 is too high for the Scottish government to allow to go ahead. Especially when you look back, even just in May at the Scottish Cup final, the SFA initially made an approach for 2,000 at the final. Scottish government allowed 600. I mean, that's a stadium that holds 50,000. And then due to a spike in COVID again, that was the gates were closed and no fans. So I just can't see 8,200 being allowed in at this early juncture of the season. Hopefully I'm wrong, but I, I can't see it. I, I guess as well, some of it might be determined by there's a... Uh... A briefing by um, Nicola Sturgeon today, so you know something might come out of that that um, that sort of shapes that uh, that discussion. Um, I mean, Aberdeen obviously have to be seen to be doing all that they can to try and get fans back in. Um, they must have been given some sort of encouragement from the local authority on this one. Um, I was at you know Bucky against Aberdeen on Saturday, and there were five hundred people there, biggest crowd that I've kind of seen in the flesh for a long time, and it's it's great to see. The fans back in, but um, I mean, I think that this uh, you know upcoming European game for Aberdeen looks you know potentially quite a tricky one. So I think the the more fans, the more backing they can get in, uh, the better. Of just on that European game, the more I, I look at BK Hacken, the more difficult this tie seems to be for Aberdeen. They won again on Monday night and I've watched some footage of it and they look very, very dangerous on the attack, especially the counter-attack. I think with this game, um, I think I've said this before, that I think everyone's been guilty from the start um, or certain sections of the fans have maybe been 
guilty from the start of underestimating BK Hacking and thinking it's just going to be like any, you know, Euro opener that the Dons have had previously against, you know, like against Riga and stuff in the Europa League. But this, this is a different competition. And I just think when you look at the the caliber of player, yeah, they're they're Swedish internationals. They're not like they're not like Dutch internationals or you know maybe they play for your sort of historically stronger European nations, but they've also got a former international manager in control now. I just yeah. I think it's definitely one that the Dons, um, I don't even think the Dons may be going as favourites for me. I think it looks pretty, when you consider the fact that this team's like well in their season, um, back back to winning ways as well. I just think it's um, looking extremely dangerous as things stand. Danny, you mentioned the Aberdeenshire Cup loss to Bucky. Um, I think for Aberdeen's youngsters to lose to any Highland League opposition is probably deemed unacceptable as strong as Bucky are um, what, what do you think the Dons were lacking on the day like, uh, Matt, Matt's sharpness and, and fitness was Barry Robson's assessment with it um, Aberdeen were they were pretty disappointing to be honest um, Robson kind of said afterwards that the fitness levels aren't really where um, he wants them to be um, some of the players involved had played in the Cali Thistle friendly and um, it was also a pretty hot day um, in Bucky so there was few mitigating factors, but big pitch and everything. Um, I thought the one guy that maybe stood out for me was Tyler Makita. He was probably Aberdeen's best player in the day, but there weren't there weren't too many um, too many options. Um, it was yeah, I mean it, it didn't really kind of look like troubling um, Bucky too much. Um, Bucky, on the other hand, um, they were they were very good. They looked pretty dangerous before Scott Adams scored the first goal. Could have scored. Could have been. A, um, in front, could have scored a couple more throughout the game. Um, I mean, for, for me, they they did what England couldn't do. Um, it was a bit of a, a defensive masterclass in seeing out a one 0 win. Um, Kevin Main uh, back at Bucky from for Martin um, didn't really have too much to do on his um, first competitive start on his return. Um, so I mean, Bucky look pretty strong team and full of full of energy and, and running and. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them do well in the Highland League this season. Just on the by Tyler Makita, what um what was it that you you were impressed by? I know a, a few fans were talking about him as well. Yep, um like three minutes in he made a, an absolutely superb tackle to stop Sam Uckert scoring the opener. That looked a certain goal. Um he had he's got quite a he's he's quite a neat and tidy player, um, really nice kind of left footed player, was kind of spraying about the passes quite comfortably. Um, but he was someone that you know there was he had a bit of dig, but also a little bit of craft in guile too. So, um, so yeah, he was the one that um, that stood out. But yeah, I was kind of I was disappointed. There was a few um, a few of the players that I was quite interested in seeing. I mean, there was guys like Miko Vertanen was playing um, right back, captain yeah. side. Kieran Nguenya was playing left back. Um, you had Michael uh, Ruth up front as well, but. Um, but yeah, Aberdeen didn't really get going. Um, so they had they had a lot more um, possession and pressure in the in the second half. But I mean, Ke- Kevin Main really didn't have um, didn't have much to do because the the defence in front of him played so well. So Bucky, they progress to the it's the twenty 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 one Aberdeenshire Cup still yet to finish that competition. So Bucky now go for Martin tomorrow night in theory. I think. Um, 
and Keith against Fraser Brad the other semi-final it was off due to COVID issues the draw for next season's Evening Express Aberdeen Cup Cup's actually taking place this evening so we'll know before the semi-finals are played what the what the ties are for the next instalment in the competition so teams will have to get two downhearted right but that concludes the Aberdeen section of the podcast next up we'll discuss the Premier Sports Cup ties that took place over the last few days Are you a Don supporting Loon or Quine? You've probably pictured in the Red Army book. Do you know any Aberdeen supporters? They're probably in the book too. You, your friends, your family, your tribe are in this book. This is a football book with a difference. It isn't really about the players, the games, the on-field achievements. It's about you, the supporter. It tells the story of the supporter's journey. It shows them in the glory years, the lean years, in song, in anger and in pubs. It shows the Red Army on the march, laughing and celebrating, home and away, young and old, for better or worse. Have a look through the book. Every few pages you exclaim, I ken that lad. I was there. I remember that. Or, furry boots is yon. There has never been an Aberdeen book like this. There never will be again. As a Northern Goal listener, you can get an exclusive 20% discount on Red Army at dcthompsonshop.co.uk using the code ARMY20 at checkout. That's A-R-M-Y-2-0 at the checkout of dcthompsonshop.co.uk. Check the episode notes for details and terms. Where to start then? Um... Cove Rangers 2, Sterling Albion 3 seems as good a place as any. Sean, you were covering that one. Sean Martin, I should say. Um, Cove's first outing, I think. I don't think they've had any pre-season games, so their first outing since they came back for pre-season training. Um, did it look like it was their first outing? Uh, there were elements of that, I would say, uh, which is probably only natural when you've not played properly for a while. Um, but they, I mean, they did start the game positively uh, on the front foot and Although Sterling, uh, Sterling scored the first after half an hour, Cove managed to get back level um, in the second half with two good goals. Um, so, I mean, they did show uh, some positive signs there. But that said, I mean, it was only Sterling's second game as well. Uh, they lost to Bonesh United in their only pre-season friendly. So it's probably still a disappointing result for Cove, really, even though it's their first game. They've obviously signed Ian Vigers, Ross Draper, um, you know, Premiership players last season. Um, in the off-season, they've signed other boys as well. How how were the new signings looking? Uh, well, the car, there was a calf injury to Ryan Strachan, um, which eventually led to a change of shape in that, and the second half meant that Ross Draper um, ended up playing in a three-man defence. Um, so I don't know how much he can really take from that. I don't know if he really would play that position for the uh, much for Cove. Um, but in terms of Ian Vigers, he was he was typically creative, um, wanted to get on the ball all game, trying a lot of diagonals, most of them coming off, to be fair to him. Um, he set up both Fraser Fivey's goals, uh, and yeah, he was probably Cove standout player, even though Fivey scored both goals. Um, although I must, I must admit, the second goal, although it was Vigers that played the through ball, uh, it was just as much about Mitch Megginson's cracking dummy. Uh, before Fivey leathered one in the top bag. So, no, I think um, there's only so much you can take from Ross Draper's display in that game, but Viger certainly looks uh, looks a great addition. 
we've discussed it before, but Vigar is in 5e. If, if, they're, if they're fighting in all c- cylinders, both fit and able to play at the same time, you've got Connor Scully as well, but that, that pairing at League One level looks extremely strong, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I don't think you'll be able to get uh, really better quality players in League One, would you? I think they, they would be the standout standouts, really. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of the, the game as a whole, I'm not really sure how much you can take from it more than, I mean, defensively, Paul Hartley himself said after the game they should have been more solid with the goals. Uh, but as I said, they did lose Ryan Strachan. Morgan Neal, who's also on your sign, was playing in the middle of the defence. Um, and as part of the three-man defence, Harry Milne ended up playing left centre-back. So in that respect, again, there's only so much you can look into it. Um, but also, I mean, Nathan Flanagan for Sterling, he was in good form. I think he'd have worried most defences, whether they changed shape or not. Uh, when he got to run at, run at them, especially, three or four-man defence, Cove kind of struggled to deal with him. Um, but, I mean, I would say, I noticed that the SPFL named Flanagan as their star of the week. But I wouldn't say he was a, like a thorn in the side of Cove the whole game, although he certainly was in the decisive moments. All right, so elsewhere in that group, Peterhead, they lost 2-0 to Hearts. At Balmour, again, Peterhead have had the same issues as so many other clubs in that it's been pretty difficult to organise. Pre-season friendlies, I know they had one against Turriff United cancelled um, last weekend, the weekend before. Um, lose track of time in this endless summer. Um, but Jim McAnally seemed to be pretty pleased that Peterhead were able to go toe-to-toe with a Premiership team, which I, th- I think is fair enough, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they had um, they had injury problems in the, the run-up to the game, so you were... I think the expectations were quite low um, from what to what to expect from Peterhead from this one, but I think it's I mean it's probably a, a good thing to in this competition sometimes to play the stronger teams early on because you can catch them cold and seen that in the past with you know Peterhead beat Hearts not that long ago in um, in this competition in the I guess the, the Ian Cathro uh, <laughs> days at at Tynecastle, um, but. Um, but yeah, he was, I mean, I think McAnally was kind of taking positives from the fact that it was a bit of a makeshift side, um, but he even managed to, you know, um, I think they went 4-4-2 at one stage, had a bit of a go um, against Hearts. Um, I think going into the game, you were kind of half thinking that this might be quite a, a long day, a heavy defeat for, for Peterhead, but um, but they seem to be, you know, McAnally seemed to be quite positive afterwards, so um, they'll be hoping that... Um, they can get that improvement. Another tough one, because obviously they're off to Cali Thistle um, this evening, but they'll be hoping from the other games in the group that they'll be able to get some positive results and um, get get something to kind of take a positive from this competition into the start of the league campaign. Okay, Paul Chalk, it's your time to shine. Um, Elgin City nil, Arbroath one. It sounded very much to me like a game of pretty tight margins where Elgin could count herself unlucky not to get a not to get a championship scalp. Would that be a, a fair assessment? Yeah, that's accurate. I would say it was a, a terrific game, and it was heading for penalties until a late goal uh, saw Elgin off. And when you're sitting at nil nil, it was one of these games that it was two teams going toe to toe. But um, really, in the early stages of the game, in particular, Elgin really took it to them. Uh, uh, Terrific performance. They, they they were pretty fearless against. Uh, we all know what Dick Campbell's teams are like. Very very well organised, very familiar lineup. Um, and our both in the the championship, the the, the guys like, you just need to look at Big Bobby Lynn, who's been doing the business year in year out for our both. But um, 
he's just one example of, of what they've got. But uh, probably the, the headline news for Elgin was Daniel Hobbin coming in in goals for um, Thomas McHale. And um, he was terrific. He was the man in the match, uh, described by Dick Campbell afterwards as having five world-class saves uh, in the Premier Sport Cup. But um, he, he really was terrific, Daniel. Um but speak to Gavin Price, the Elgin boss, afterwards. He said that position is up for grabs. Um, and indeed, in midweek, you'll see Thomas McHale back between the sticks. And then it's a real fight. I think they're going to use this Premier Sports Cup to uh, figure out who's going to be the, the number one come the 31st when um, Elgin get going in League Two against Stranraer. And um, like you hear from a lot of managers and players right now, Ryan, you know, the, the Premier Sports Cup, a lot are using it as a pre-season. A lot of them say they're looking at the bigger picture, which is the, the start of the league campaign. And, and that's the way it is for Elgin as well. They can take a lot of heart from this performance. Um, they're a pretty settled side again. Not a lot of movement over the summer. Um, Stenhouse Muir centre-half Craig Little's come in and, and um, taking his position straight away. He played against Ross County and against Strathspey in pre-season. So um, I spoke to Rory McEwen after the game at the weekend. I'm The more and more I see of Rory, the more impressed I am. And fans back at Borough Briggs as well, getting into the action. They they love seeing players fly into tackles and Rory quite early on let Arbroath know they were in a, in a tie with some, some uh, a couple of full-blooded challenges and, and he's a classy player as well. So Elgin have got a really good balance. Everyone's talking about Kelty Hearts, who of course narrowly lost to Dundee United on the Friday night. So Kelty are expected to be favourites. But having covered Elgin through the, the playoffs in April and May, it's, it's really much. There's a determination there that Elgin don't want to be in the playoffs again. They are really going for the title so that they don't suffer the heartache once more of bowing out um, and, and they see themselves as being a team capable of mixing it in League One. Dick Campbell obviously knows better than me, but um, perhaps hyperbole to say that Danny Hoban made five world-class saves <laughs> but of Riggs on Saturday. I think we're maybe cheapening the phrase World class there. Uh, moving Perhaps. on, Montrose 3, Brora Rangers 0 in the next group, and that's Group C. Um, oh, yeah. Brora's first outing, again, another team that have struggled. I think they only had 14 players available. One of them was not Josh Meekings, who was struggling with like a knee injury, and they didn't want him to be playing in a plastic pitch. Um, Craig Campbell seemed like, like Cove and Peter Heads, um, coaching staff, to be reasonably happy that to get a, fit, a fitness exercise under their belt. Um, but he did speak, I think, quite interestingly about the need for Broda to get in some reinforcements in the near future. Yeah, I spoke to Dale Gillespie yesterday as well, who um, probably went closest in that game at the, at the weekend for Broda. And yeah, they didn't have a game before that game. And uh, Dale admitted that, you know, the Montrose performance even opened his eyes. The Newman pros were very good. This is a team, of course, that Stuart Petrie took all the way to the promotion playoffs, a team that only a few years ago were in a, a pyramid playoff to, to stay in the leagues against Brora, and they came through that by the skin of their teeth, and so now they've been in the upward curve. Um, a terrific team who probably will be having a real go um, up the top end of that, that table again. Um, obviously, we know the, the challenges that they'll be, be up against, clearly. But uh, yeah, from a broader point of view, Dale said the, the feeling is within broader that um, they're probably they're, they're running with a score of maybe 15, 16 at the moment. So they're 
two, three players shy of what they need for the start of the, the league campaign, having had no pre-season. Again, they're using the Premier Sports Cup really just to sharpen up because they've got a difficult opening to the, the Highland League as, as well. I think they've got Fraserburgh um, quite early on, for example, and um, Rothis in, in the opening sort of fortnight. So they're really up against it. Dale does think that, that Brecon City should be viewed as dangerous despite the way they've they've slid out of League 2 and into the Highland League. Um, he thinks bringing in Craig Levine as, uh, I think, the official role as advisor um, and a lot of changes within Brecon that he thinks they'll be really going for it and that will be an unknown quantity. But uh, from Broder's point of view, they want to be back in a playoff and fighting for the right to get into League 2 and join um, the likes of Kelty Hearts, um, although Kelty may well have moved on. The game we, we were denied at the weekend was Forfar against Ross County, which was off because of COVID issues in Dingwall. Um, what's what's the latest with Ross County? Obviously, I think their next fixture is Sunday. It's supposed to be playing Sunday against Dundee. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dundee. Um, Going to go ahead? Yeah, yeah. I think it's all looking positive. In fact, I was in touch with Ross County this morning and um, the press conferences are set for, for Thursday morning. So um, they've been... Um, quite keen to ensure that fans are aware that season tickets are on sale and if they're they're bought this week as well, uh, you get those two home ties in, in the Premier Sports Cup that they, they have as well, um, including that Dundee game. So, yeah, to, to start off with, with the Dundee game is never going to be easy. I believe County will be back um, Wednesday, Thursday training, but at least they do have that extra day to prepare for it. Um, Dundee, of course, are up against Brora, uh, tonight, so we'll get a wee gauge as to, to what they're all about. But they're now a, a Premiership club, so it's um, an old Premiership tie to start with. with County, who are already playing catch up, of course, for feet in that tie at Forfar meant that it was a 3 0 defeat or a 3 0 win for Forfar. So, um, yeah, there's a lot more business to be done at Ross County in, in terms of bringing in players. And who knows, probably before the weekend, you would imagine that Malky. And, now that the, the club will have reopened, we might see another face or two. But the, the only pre-season game they've had was that one through at Elgin where they won 5-0 and they were very impressive before COVID hit. And, uh, you know, Malky admitted they were down to the bare bones. They don't have any options on the bench. It was uh, mainly young kids who, albeit he was very impressed with. But um, from a Ross County point of view, they're... Um, they do need a lot more experience in, in terms of getting ready for the, the Premiership for, that, from their point of view, kicks off against the double cup winners, St Johnston coming to Dingwall at the end of the month. Paul gets a pound for every Ross County season ticket sold, so snap them up. <laughs> it sounds that way. Uh, yeah. um, I don't want to dwell too much on the games taking place um, tonight and tomorrow night. We've got Hearts against Cove, Inverness against Peterhead, Dundee v Brora tonight. We've got Dundee United against Elgin. On Wednesday, then, as I mentioned, Ross County Dundee on Sunday, the day before on the Saturday, we've got Inverness against Stirling, Peterhead against Cove, big one for us locally, and Barora against Forfar. Just, guys, we're, we're predicting any upsets, I think, on the basis of the weekend. Um, Hearts might prove to be too strong for Cove tonight. Um, Inverness against Peterhead, though, might be an interesting one. What do we think? It could be an interesting one, and Billy Dodds was at the Peterhead game at the weekend and uh, really impressed by them. He was well aware that they were down in numbers a little bit. So um, it's, of course, Billy Dodds' first game in, in charge competitively of Cali Thistle 
this Tuesday night against Peterhead. He's looking forward to it. So you've got Billy at one end of the scale going in against Jim Mac and uh, McNally, the, the longest serving in, in Scottish football. But um, I, I, as Billy was pointing out, he's not, not short of experience overall in Scottish football. So he's been an assistant and he's played the game at the highest level. So um, he's not exactly a novice going in there, but he's, he's looking forward to getting in, in this one. I, I think it could be a close encounter for Inverness tonight, especially the first game going. They took encouragement from the way they performed at uh, Aberdeen the, the other night. But you, again, you can't read too much into the, the result. But they were, they were heartened by the way they played. I think um, Brora have actually got the the toughest probably of the the assignments. Just given that, I mean, I spoke to Craig Campbell on Sunday, but I mean they haven't been able to play any friendlies basically due to COVID call offs and such. Like they've had three players self isolating. I mean, as Paul said, they only had you know three players on the bench at the weekend, and Josh Meekings was absent um, due to um, a bit of a slight knee injury. I didn't want to risk him on the the artificial pitch at Lynx Park, um, but Craig Campbell wasn't sure. They said they'd give. Josh Meekings every chance to play um, against Dundee, but I mean he's as a former Dundee captain, you think that he'd be quite keen to play in that one. Um, I mean he was. I mean Craig Campbell's actually pretty positive after um, after the game, saying that it was like a good exercise because they've been sort of starved of you know so much football for for so long. But um, I think it's going to be quite tough given that you know they're doing quite a bit of travelling um, away to Dens Park again. Um, so that that could be if. Um, if if they kind of struggle in the sort of first half, then that could be quite a tough tough game for Brora. Be interesting for us as well to see Peterhead against Cove, um, given that they'll be again competing against each other in League One, and they're both they're two of our teams. But we must move on to a final subject because I promised Paul that we'd be finished by a certain time, and he's crucial to this section of the podcast. Inverness obviously completed the signing, Paul, of. Very experienced defender and egg microwaver Kirk Broadfoot yesterday. <laughs> um, a good signing for Inverness. It seems Billy Dodds is he's only interested this summer in signing players that have got loads of experience to complement the the young talents he's already got at the Caledonian Stadium. Yeah, he did say that he's he's um, he has got a young group of players who he's been uh, encouraged with their performances in pre-season, the, the games that they've had. But uh, in terms of Kirk, uh, there were other clubs in for Kirk Broadfoot um, closer to home. Billy, like Kirk, comes from Ayrshire, so he knows the the um, the challenges involved in coming up here. But family circumstances with Kirk, his wife, um, I think, moved into a part-time job that allows um, her to, to take care of the, the kids a little bit and the kids will be coming up to the, the Highlands regularly as well while Kirk focuses on his, his football. So that was the, the key thing. Kirk did ponder hanging up his, his boots or at least maybe, you know, drop them down to levels be, below the, the championship after being relegated with Kilmarnock. Of course, some fans saying, well, if Kilmarnock, if he's not good enough for Kilmarnock, what's he doing at Inverness? He's a direct rival now. Um, uh, but uh, it I think there were big changes at Kilmarnock happening anyway. Tommy Wright, it was a clean slate pretty much for, for Tommy. He's kept a few guys in there. But um, I think from, from Kirk's point of view, it brings that experience. Brad Mackay, of course, has gone to Falkirk. So I think they're a little bit quiet as a side in Vernes. Um So I think a wee bit of uh, leadership there. Um, will, will always help his, with uh, Kirk's experience. But he's he made uh, no bones about it. He's here to win promotion with Inverness. It's it's not only with an outstanding team. You might look at Kilmarnock as the, the early favourites 
going into the campaign, but there's a real belief there that Inverness that there's a right mix, and Kirk Broadfoot will, will play a big part in that. And they off to, they have to get off to a strong start, notoriously slow starters, Calitha. So they can't afford to do that, and they kick off on the 31st of the month down at Arbroath. Okay, so there's no other business that concludes this week's episode of Northern Goal. Thanks to the four troops for joining me today, Sean Martin, Danny Law, Sean Wallace, and Paul Chalk. It's confusing as it can be to have two Seans on one podcast, but thanks, guys. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you, pleasure. Cheers, Ryan. Thanks. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, you can email us at northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk. You can like and subscribe on your favourite podcast app. And finally, enjoy whichever game you're able to watch this week. Cheers. Hope you loved the episode, and if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.